Welcome to the Weather Channel podcast. I am Kate Parker. I'm a meteorologist. I work for weather.com and the Weather Channel app. And today we are talking my favorite subject, hurricanes. Because yes, we have already had a start to the Atlantic hurricane season. The Pacific hurricane season is underway. I'm so excited today. My guest is Josh Morgerman one of the world's top hurricane chasers and star of the TV series, Hurricane Man. I've known Josh for a few years now, and he has been through some of the worst of the worst. So we're going to talk some more stories. We're going to talk about this upcoming season. So much to catch up on. Josh, ahoy, yaksamash. You're one of the only other people I know that knows a few words of Czech. Mamse dobrze. Yeah, oh my God, I, I, you surprised me there when you uh, when you pulled out the check. I forgot that you uh, that you know some. I had to go back in my mental file cabinet. Uh, yeah, just for people listening, I uh, I'm not Czech, but I lived in Prague for many years, so I had some little bit of working Czech there. And I am Czech by heritage, and I lived in Prague for a little while, so it's just a little bit of a um, common history that Josh and I have there. But man, how are you doing? It has been way too long. Yeah, you know, it's uh, God. It, it seems like light years ago that we ran into each other at last at a conference. Uh, things are good. Uh, you know, the, um, the the pandemic has kind of uh, interrupted my normal sort of course of activities in terms of uh, hurricane chasing. So, like everyone else, I'm kind of having to adjust how I do things these days. Oh, I would imagine. I mean, are you just staying put as a result? Is there anything that you've wanted to chase recently and haven't because of the pandemic? Yeah, actually, there is. A, a big cyclone just hit uh, India, West Bengal in India, uh, near Kolkata, and I would have chased that. It actually just made landfall in the last six hours. That would have been a, a fascinating chase subject, and I for sure would have gone for that one. But, uh, you know, a lot of the international travel is just shut down. Uh, you know, most countries now you can't even enter uh, work, you know, at this point, or you can't even get flights. So that's going to definitely, it's going to impact how I do things this year for sure. So I know that we have already kind of got this season kicked off. June 1st is the start of the Atlantic season. And, you know, we talk a lot about the Atlantic hurricane season because, well, it's what hits the U.S. for the most part. And the Weather Channel, while we are international, uh, personally, we are U.S.-based. <laughs> so um, this season, you know, the forecasts are indicating above average activity, which, as you and I know, Josh, it doesn't matter unless we're getting a landfall. So <laughs> what are your thoughts? What are your feelings? How are you feeling going into this season? I know we were kind of talking about the pandemic here. Is it going to change your plans? How are you doing? Yeah, you made a really good point, which is that the activity in the United States is not just dependent on the activity in the Atlantic, meaning you can have a crazy, crazy season with like a gazillion hurricanes, but everything stays offshore. Or you can have a totally, totally dead season, but then you have one really crazy hurricane hit a populated area, like what happened in 1992. You know, that season was just like, I mean, the Atlantic was basically a funeral parlor, but you had one big Category 5 smash into the suburbs south of Miami. And it was the first storm of the season. It was A. It was Andrew. <laughs> right. And what was so weird is also how late it was. It was the first storm of the season, and it was like late in August. Yeah, it was a really kind of a weird season. And then I'm not much after that. So because of that, I always like, in terms of my planning, I take the, the seasonal forecasts almost with a grain of salt. That said, you know, it is interesting how bullish the various forecasting agencies and entities are about this year. People are really talking about this being a big season. 
And uh, I am planning a little differently this year. So generally, I'm just, I'm fully global. I, I chase hurricanes, typhoons, cyclones, you know, different names for different regions. I chase them every corner of the globe. And uh, during the Northern Hemisphere season, you know, I live in LA. And people are always like, God, why do you live in LA? That's like a crazy place to live if you're into hurricanes because they don't get any hurricanes. But it's actually the perfect headquarters if you chase around the world. Because with a one nonstop flight, I can get to uh, major cities in East Asia for typhoons. I can get all over the Atlantic and the Caribbean. I can get down to Australia on our, um, on our off season during their uh, cyclone season. So LA is a perfect headquarters. Now, if the whole pandemic thing really continues strong and, and sort of travel into some of the East Asian countries is still shut down. Like for example, you can't even get into Japan and Taiwan and Philippines right now. If that continues, that means really I'm just looking at the Atlantic, maybe only the United States. And in that case, what I'm thinking to do is actually headquartered this summer in Southern Mississippi, probably around Biloxi and literally just live there for three months so that I am driving distance huh. to every possible landfall, uh, whether it be South Texas, Miami, the Outer Banks of North Carolina. I looked at it and everything would be under a 12 hour drive. So I would not be dependent on any kind of flying. Interesting. Yeah, that would be a huge change in plans uh, for you to set up shop on <laughs> in Biloxi of all places, uh, a little different than LA. But, um, it, you know, that that is a smart plan for trying to catch these storms. Um, now, what if we have, I guess that kind of puts the Northeast out, but you know, 97% of uh, Cat 3 or higher storms have hit between Mississippi and North Carolina. So that's like a pretty good. Exactly. You know, uh, and, and not to, not to diss Northeast hurricanes. I mean, I am from the Northeast. You know, I grew, I grew up on Long Island in New York and my passion for hurricanes was, you know, was sparked by going through, uh, you know, hurricanes that struck Long Island. But, you know, th those are kind of, you know, sort of mostly usually fairly tame compared to, you know, what you get down in the sort of more southern latitudes. And I remember, I remember the first time, you know, I'd been in a couple of hurricanes on Long Island. And then my first real hurricane was in South Texas. And, and you know, that's when I, I realized the difference. And so my passion is really, I like those southern latitude ones that are, you know, along the Gulf Coast or even further south, you know, deep in the tropics, you know, Mexico, it's actually my favorite chase turf down there. So the Northeast ones, if I can't reach them, I'm okay with that. And again, not to diss them, but if I've got to, you know, choose sort of what I can access this year, yeah, it's definitely want to be like way down south. I know that we're kind of, um, I, I try and be cognizant because it kind of feels like whenever we're talking about chasing these, and the same goes for tornadoes, it can almost feel like kind of like a... We're trying to glamorize hurricanes, um, which is absolutely not the case. And no one knows that better than you, that after a storm, it is just absolutely wild. Um, places that are are typically, you know, pretty civilized turn into just chaos and bedlam. Um, and can you kind of take us through what it is like to be in a place after a storm? I know we talk a lot about during the storm and those experiences, and we're going to get to some of that. But, but it's not it's not fun or good, and there's a lot of human suffering. Um, what are places like in the immediate 
aftermath of a hurricane? Yeah, you know, you, you bring up sort of a sort of a central, I don't know if it's like an inner conflict or whatever, but it's something I've been dealing with my whole life, which is, you know, obviously I have an obsession with this subject matter. You know, I'm, I'm literally obsessed with hurricanes. I have been since I was like a toddler. You know, I remember just as a hurricane would approach when I was little, you know, and the house would start to shake and the trees outside would wave like, wow, that I just get so into it. You know, it was almost like drugs for me. And then you see the pain afterward in it, you know, and then and then it just kind of like it, it, it kills that feeling. And, um, you know, I remember when I was a teenager, we had a hurricane Gloria came up the coast and struck Long Island. And I remember like the eye passed right over my town. And, you know, I remember at the height of the storm when it was really ripping, I was just like, wow, you know, I was like, so excited about it. And then we lost the biggest tree in our property and it was a tree my mother really loved and she started to cry and my father looked at me and he said is that what you wanted and and i just was like oh going from that thrill of the storm to the pain of the loss or just seeing my mother cry like that it i feel like i've been replaying that my whole life that kind of i guess the conflict and to bring it to like an epic scale i went through something like that with super typhoon haiyan in the philippines so as you, as mm-hmm. I'm sure your listeners know, a typhoon is a hurricane. It's just what they call it in East Asia. And Haiyan was a not just a Category Five, but way into Category Five. The strongest landfalling tropical cyclone in history came ashore with winds of 190 miles an hour. And I was in a city of 220,000 people, so a pretty big city called Tacloban in the Philippines. It got a direct hit. A giant storm surge just swept the entire city. And I remember as the cyclone or the typhoon was approaching, I remember just like looking at the satellite pictures of it and feeling like I was looking at some like rare art. I mean, I couldn't believe how perfect it looked. It, and, and there was something just stunningly beautiful about it. And even when it hit, just watching it, just there was, I realized hurricanes to me, there's something, or typhoons, there's something beautiful about them. Just the, I don't know, the energy of it or the, the sound, it, it literally has almost like an artistic quality to me. But then, you know, at the height of the storm, the you know, water came into the hotel. Um, the first floor rooms were going underwater and I heard people screaming, people were gonna die. And I had to jump in the water to like, you know, drag people out of their rooms to get them to higher ground. And it was that point that the screams of the people and feeling like people in front of me were going to die, it almost like broke me out of my trance, uh, you know, that I had of just feeling like, wow, this is so amazing to just feeling like, wow, this is really terrible. And the aftermath of Haiyan was the worst I've ever seen. You know, this was a big city that had been yeah, completely swept. Yeah, it was swept. awful. I mean, it was, it was beyond anything I'd ever seen. It was just a, a, a big city completely swept by a giant storm surge and crazy wind. And there were, I mean, whole neighborhoods of the city were just piles of rubble. There were dead bodies everywhere. I mean, it was just like the scale of it, you can't even get it into words. And uh, right after I was, I was stuck there for a few days and to survive, I basically just had to kind of shut my emotions off. I just was like, all right, don't feel anything because if I just started to react to things, I was just gonna, you know, freak out. But what was interesting was days later when I got back to LA and I was kind of in safety, that's when I kind of had the emotions from it. And I didn't chase for a while after that one because just the kind of witnessing the human impact of it kind of rattled me a little. Um, You know, I just kind of like, I almost wasn't into the subject matter anymore. That changed, obviously, you know, chasing some of my blood and I'm going to keep doing it. But that was one that really, that really kind of shook me. Yeah. Hayan was just, was next level heartbreak and destruction. And I can't even imagine being there 
and what it feels like to experience that all firsthand. I mean, it makes sense that you would close yourself off to that. Uh, but I mean, you were you were talking about how beautiful the satellite imagery was, and, and it was. Haiyan was this horrifying storm that presented beautifully on satellite. I'm not sure we've had a storm since or before that was so perfectly symmetrical and every meteorologist and anybody who has a passion for weather can be in awe of mother nature's ability to create something like that is that what drives you to chase is it the beauty almost uh, and the power of mother nature is it the information is it you know giving people a firsthand experience and what these horrors are like or what is it it's a good question uh First off, you know, when you look at a satellite image or a radar image of a hurricane, the interesting thing is that the the more symmetrical it is, the more geometric it is, the more perfectly circular it is, the more perfectly clear the eye is, the more violent, the more dangerous it is. And that's kind of really interesting. Just I've always found that fascinating about hurricanes. The more perfect, the more geometric, the more that it looks like it was you know, it's an illustration made by a machine, the more intense. I I always find that really interesting. I would say my fascination with the topic has evolved a little bit. I think when I was younger, I think it was definitely like, I was just a full on adrenaline junkie. And there's something about being in the core of an intense hurricane, that that screaming sound of the wind, just that, that crazy motion of just like, you know, trees waving like crazy stuff flying through the air, just that that energy, there's something about that that just like, you know, just turned me on. Like, I'm just going to be honest. I mean, that's that's what it was. It was a very visceral thing. Yeah. It still is. It's definitely an adrenaline rush, for sure. Oh, for sure. You know, and, I, and I, I've noticed this again and again, and I hate to say this because I, I just, I'm like a terrible example for, you know, for young people. I really, I, I wrestle with this because I always like, I don't want anyone to you know, lead the kind of life I do because I'm just scared someone's going to get hurt. But one thing I've noticed is that, you know, the chases that I look back at, the, the ones that I'm just like, wow, that was that was an incredible chase. That was a meaningful chase. You know, that's one that people want to hear about at conferences and in interviews. Those are the ones where I was freaked out during it. Like I was like, didn't know if I was going to make it out in one piece, you know, or I was like, you know, having to like, you know, cower under a mattress in a, in a bathroom as the whole building blew apart. Those are the ones you look back at and you're like, wow, that was a consequential chase. And there's something disturbing about that, that, that kind of like the, the more meaningful the experience, the more dangerous it is. It's almost like Icarus flying too co- close to the sun. It's like you're trying to get closer and closer to some extreme experience and in the end it might kill you. My motivations have changed over the years. Uh, at first it was pure adrenaline, then it started to become something else. So we've got these hurricanes, typhoons, cyclones, hitting land masses all over the world. And, you know, most of the time they're not, these landfalls are not well documented. You know, you'll get some, what looks like on satellite images to be a category five typhoon striking some remote part of Luzon in the Philippines. And our entire knowledge of that event is just, uh, intensity estimates from satellite pictures, which are not that accurate. Mm-hmm. That has that bums me out. 
<laughs> like every time you have one of these major events in a remote region and there's no documentation of what happened on the ground, there's no ground truth, it drives me crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can't. You can't track the whole world like that. The same goes for tornadoes. We don't really often get ground truth. Yeah. And what I realized about a decade ago or a little more is that, you know what, I can make a difference here because I'm going all around the world and hunting down these storms in really remote regions. I, you know, I should measure these events. So I have you know, a lot of portable devices I, and I go into these storms. And in a, a lot of times now, the data that I get inside the eyes or in the cores of these uh, storms that are coming ashore in remote regions where there aren't weather stations and there's no recon, Sometimes my data are the only data that exists from the inner cores of these storms as they come ashore. And that is really exciting to me. That is like my big, big, big driver now is ground truth, collecting data that otherwise wouldn't exist that gives scientists almost like a that missing puzzle piece that they need as they're trying to analyze, okay, what happened with that? How strong was that? You know, when that came ashore. It's so wild because we have, you know, we do have a lot more information whenever we have the hurricanes, hunters specifically flying in and doing drop zones. You know, we're going to get a profile of the atmosphere. We're going to get conditions of the ocean surface, things like that, that we didn't have many, many decades ago. And that information put into our models, it, it really enables us to better forecast these storms, but they cannot fly into storms when storms are over land. It's only over water because of the friction and the turbulence that land creates within a hurricane um, or typhoon or cyclone, but you know, hurricane hunters are in the US. So um, it, it creates this vertical motion that the planes actually, you would think, okay, flying a plane into a hurricane, that's insane. But whenever you're doing it out over smooth ocean water, it's actually not that bad. I mean, it's mm -hmm. not pleasant and there are plenty of horror stories from <laughs> friends that I've known that uh, that have flown through some pretty mega storms. But we don't have that land information like you're talking about, Josh. And that's and that's just such a crucial um, piece of information because sometimes these storms are intensifying on landfall and we're not getting that data. Yeah. And it makes a huge impact on the human cost. Yeah. And even in the U.S., you know, like like we we have a good network of, of weather stations and observation sites. But even in the U.S., you have portions of the American coast, you know, like let's say the area between uh, Brownsville and Corpus Christi in Texas. There's not a lot going on there. You know, that's like that's an area where if you have some portable devices, you can make a real difference. And the other thing that that uh, you know listeners should should remember is flying planes into hurricanes to collect data. That's still you know, like 70 years into doing this or however long we've been doing it, it's still, that's pretty much an American thing. The United States is the only country that regularly flies recon planes into tropical cyclones to collect data. So the Atlantic and the Eastern Pacific, the areas that are covered by our hurricane center are pretty well documented. You know, we, we're flying planes in all the time and getting these data so that we're not just dependent 100% on satellite intensity estimates. But the rest of the world, it's pretty much entirely, you know, whether you're, whether you're in the Western Pacific or you're down around Australia or whatever, or the, you know, the, the Bay of Bengal, all of those forecasters are relying almost 100% on satellite intensity estimates, meaning they're looking at satellite pictures of the, of the cyclones and using, a, you know, various sort of methodologies, estimating how strong the storms are. 
occasionally other countries like sometimes japan will fly a plane in but it's rare they don't do it regularly and so in these other parts of the world the ground truth becomes even more important and you you were talking about this too whenever you were you know um mentioning why you chase and some of those scariest moments for you where you question am i going to make it out of this you said that you 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 wouldn't want other people following and especially kids like following in your footsteps um for their own safety why do you put yourself why why be the sacrificial lamb and so to speak to put yourself in these extremely dangerous positions yeah it's a great question because you know i chase a lot and in a normal year you know when we're not having a pandemic you know um from july to october i'm going non-stop you know between hurricanes in the atlantic and the eastern pacific and typhoons in the western pacific i'm just i'm going non-stop you know i'm living like in airplanes and living out of like a suitcase i'm just going 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 and uh it's an exhausting time of year and uh you know and 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 then, of course, there's like the terror of being in some of these really intense storms. And sometimes I ask myself, like, you know, God, like, why am I doing this? You know, because I get exhausted from it sometimes. I mean, definitely there are times when I'm like heading to the airport, you know, at midnight to get on some flight to Taiwan or, or some place where I'm like, I don't even I don't even know where I'm going to end up. You know, I'm just kind of like. The whole thing is improvised. You know, I know I'm going to land in Taiwan, then I'm going to drive for hours. I'm going to end up in some town, which is right now just some dot on the map. I don't know anything about it. And there's a side of me, which is just like, oh, like, I, like I'm not in the mood for this. I don't want to do this. I just want to stay home. But there's something that drives me. It's almost like an addiction. And uh, I think it's that payoff, the moment of sort of climax of being in the core of the storm and just the, the wonderment of that. And then going through into the calm eye. And there's something, it's such a thrill that I, um, you know, I kind of just, I, I just can't let it go. And it just drives me. And I'll say this also, you know, people ask me, you know, do I get scared? You know, and I've been in five category five hurricanes and typhoons in, in, in the eye walls in the inner cores of five. And uh, I do, I do get, you know, I do have fear sometimes, you know what I mean? I'm not like a dummy, you know, I definitely, you know, <laughs> I, I yeah. like that. Like, I'm not one of those, you know, they're, they're those kinds of people that like don't experience fear. You know, they don't like that part of their brain doesn't work or something. I'm not one of those people. Like I get scared, but your brain works. You can experience yeah. the fear. <laughs> yeah. I almost wish I was one of those people, like those weird people that they just have, like, they don't, they just don't experience fear, but I'm not that. But the curiosity, the burning curiosity, uh, you know, it just always for me, when it comes to hurricanes, slightly outweighs the fear. It's like, it always, it always is just, the curiosity is a little stronger than the fear. So I just go for it. And, uh, you know, the best example for that recently is probably Dorian in the Bahamas, which was one of those kind of intensely scary experiences. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that next, about Dorian. Um, you were there and you were actually working with us at the time um, with weather.com and um, we didn't hear from you for a while. I mean, that was that thing just parked right over you. What was the experience like and has did it change the way you're going to approach future storms? That one was a real test. So just... Um, 
you know, just so listeners know, so when it hit where I was in the, in uh, on Abaco Island, a great Abaco Island in the Bahamas, it had estimated sustained winds of 185 miles an hour. And if you look at all of the hurricanes that have ever hit North America, that ties it for first place with the uh, 1935 Labor Day hurricane in Florida as the strongest known hurricane landfall in North America. So so just so folks know, this was like way up there. This was nuts. In fact, on my website, you know, I list all my chases, icyclone.com. I have all my chases listed and I give a little sort of pithy title to each chase and I call that one, I think I call it like the chaser's holy grail or something because for me it was. Um, to get in something that strong bullseye just get right in the eye you know and on a and on an island out in the ocean so that there's no friction so you just get the perfect structure of the storm was just like whoa you know it was it was literally there's something kind of religious about it but it was also scary as hell and uh the, the first sort of premonition i had was the night before when it, as it was approaching i was going to ride it out in a like a three-story condo um you know, right on the water. And that it was a category four at that point. And I thought, okay, yeah, this will be really, this will be like great. This will be great front row seat. I'm going to get incredible data. I'm going to document this thing like no hurricanes ever been documented. And I thought, okay, I better get, I better get a little rest. And I remember I, I laid down and I, I've tried to get better about that through the years, like trying to get a little sleep before hurricanes, because I, I, if I don't force myself to sleep, I'll just go days without sleeping. And that's really bad. So I remember just laying in the in the bed and it was like one or two a.m and i just the wind started to get this weird howl and something you know i mean i'm a pro i've been in a lot of hurricanes but there's something about the sound of the howl that just really like it turned my stomach and i started to think about the building and okay how sturdy is this and like i'm like kind of like hmm and something told me don't stay there just don't stay there in the middle of the night i packed my stuff and i drove 20 miles down to marsh harbor which is the main town on great abaco island it's a town of about fifteen thousand people and I decided I'm going to ride out the storm there. And I found a, um, I found a, a, a school on a hill, um, like a shelter, a concrete building. And that's where I decided to ride out the storm. That morning, as the hurricane approached, it totally bombed out, meaning it intensified like massively. Yeah. Uh, and it went to Category 5 and then way into Category 5. And then the last report I got, it was at 180 miles an hour before we lost communication. But I remember thinking to myself, man, I am so glad that I relocated uh, because, you know, just the, the place where I was, I mean, it, it, I'm sure it just got demolished. It was a nightmare scenario as far as storms go. I mean, I, you can't get much worse. Yeah. So at what point did you finally kind of feel things start to lighten up and, and were you able to Say like, okay, I still have all my fingers and toes. Yeah, it, it was really a, it, it was a marathon. You know, the um, the inner core, the violent part of the hurricane started to get really crazy around 12 noon. And that's when we got into the eye wall. I was in a solid concrete classroom with like about, I think, 11 other people, two families and a few other guys. And, uh, you know, we usually when I'm in a hurricane, I'll, I'll sort of, you know, I, I, I even during bad hurricanes, I might go outside, but I'll be very close to the building or I'll just be tucked in a doorway or something kind of protected. In this kind of hurricane, you can't do that. This is just totally nuclear. When you get into really violent eye walls like this, the wind is blowing in every direction. 
it's very turbulent. So it's not like you can count on everything to blow one way. It's just stuff blows every way. Um, it's like being inside a washing machine. So, you know, the wind was just roaring the whole, you know, you could feel the force of this wind. You could feel it in the concrete walls. I mean, they're just rattling. I mean, the, the, the roaring was deafening. Everything outside the window, you know, we were looking through some cyclone shutters, the, the, the slats, and everything just turned white. And when the whiteness cleared and we got in the calm eye, you know, some of the cars in front of the window had blown away. We didn't see them blow away. It happened when everything turned white. Like you just, it was behind this cloak of extreme turbulence. Walked out during the eye and just, it looked like, I mean, the, the trees were just sticks. A lot of the building had been really badly damaged, including the concrete parts. Cars just thrown around like toys. And we realized we couldn't, uh, we couldn't ride out this, the rest of the second half of the storm in that location because the building had been so badly damaged. Uh, a lot of the cars had been blown away or just destroyed. Mine was fine, which this was so weird. My car not a scratch. The neck, the one next to it had just blown away. It had blown across the parking lot. And that's just, you know, hurricane that's winds like are really- unbelievable. Yeah. Her, inner, the inner cores of hurricanes, it's very, the, the, the wind damage often has that kind of freaky erratic uh, quality that you see in tornado damage, where there's just like, it's kind of, it, the damage is very streaky and weird. I had one of three functioning cars between the 11 of us, so a bunch of us piled into my car, and we had to find a new place to be for the second half of the storm. And I remember, you know, we didn't have radar. We didn't have any communications. We didn't know how long we were going to be in this calm eye. And my biggest fear was we were going to be stuck out on the road when the backside hit, and then we'd be dead because in those kinds of winds, you know, the flying debris, you'll die without even knowing what hits you. Um, but we did manage to find, we, we found a big government building and, and we, uh, we got into that for the backside. Now, in terms of the storm stalling, yeah, it stalled. Fortunately for our location, the, the absolute worst part of the hurricane, the eye wall did not stall over us. It passed first, but then we were stuck in the kind of the, the rain bands of it for three days. And I've never had that happen where after this devastating hurricane, you have three days of gales and heavy rain and it just wouldn't stop. And I, it was, it, it was, you know, it was exhausting. And I, 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 I felt really terrible for the survivors because, you know, these folks couldn't even, they couldn't even go check on the, on the wreckage of their homes because it was just days of this terrible weather. And it was just like, I mean, it was really, it was salt in the wound for these, for these folks. Do you think that that experience will change how you approach some of these more extreme storms in the future? You know, I'm going to say, I'm going to say no, because I, um, it was, it was scary. Uh, but I, in terms of getting through it alive, I did the right things. You know, I've been, I've been chasing for many years. I've been in a lot of close calls. You know, I've been in collapsing buildings. I've been in category fives in remote regions and developing countries. You know, I've been trapped in places for long times. But given that I've been doing this, you know, for decades and I've really, uh, you know, I've, I've been in the worst of the worst storms, you know, it's, it's, I've done pretty well in terms of, you know, I've only had a couple of minor injuries, uh, you know, just some scratches and bruises, you know, maybe bled a couple of times, but 
I've gotten through it and I've, I've been healthy up to now. And I, and it's because I'm doing something right. Meaning I think I'm, you know, obviously a very aggressive chaser and some people think I'm crazy and they think my lifestyle is crazy and I have a death wish. But well, yeah, everybody thinks you're a little bit crazy. You gotta be, <laughs> do it. And, you know, I own it. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, I'm yeah. long, I've long gotten used to just like, okay, you know, just being the freak at the dinner party, you know, before like, what do you do? And I explain it, they're like, okay, weirdo. <laughs> but also fascinated, but also like, wow, okay. Uh, let me tell you about my banking job, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, people think you're a weirdo. And I, you know, I, I kind of like I own it now. But you know, I, I, there's there's some inner logic. You know, th- there is at the end of the day, once, you know, once I'm really the storms really hitting like with Dorian, I, you know, I make I generally make sensible choices, you know, I make sure I'm above the maximum sort of surge, a storm surge line, you know, I make sure that I'm above, you know, how high the water will get. And I make sure that I'm in some kind of building that I think is able to withstand the expected wind speeds. Now, I can't, that's textbook. I can't always, you know, sort of decide. I'm I'm not always in the position to kind of make perfect choices. You know, a lot of the times when I'm chasing, I'm hunting down a storm to the very last second. You know, I'll be on Twitter sort of tweeting about my chase as I'm going. And a lot of folks who are following me are asking me, you know, hey, where are you going to ride out the storm? And they'll ask me like 24 hours before, even 12 hours before. I have no idea because chasing a hurricane, if you're doing it right, you're really going for that inner core. That is, it's a precision sport. People think, oh, a hurricane's easy to chase. It's so big. And not really because the really, the part I'm going for, the really intense part is a tiny ring near the middle. And in a lot of hurricanes, that's a very small area. So it's a precision sport. And I'm usually adjusting my position down to the very final hours and sometimes final minutes. You know, I've had a bunch of chases recently where I call it like sliding into home plate, where I'm literally getting into my final location as the as the winds are reaching hurricane force. So because of that, there have been cases where I'm a little rushed and I actually don't have time to, you know, assess the quality of the building that I'm going to ride at the storm in, you know, and a good example of that was Hurricane Patricia. Patricia was in the Eastern Pacific. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you guys, means- I'm sure, you know, over there were kind of like wowed by it. Absolutely. I mean, a massive, massive storm that fortunately hit a very, very sparsely pop- populated area of Mexico. But Joshua, you were there. <laughs> It sounds like. So Patricia is the strongest tropical cyclone ever reliably measured on Earth in terms of wind speed. So officially, the National Hurricane Center estimates that that the sustained winds were 215 miles an hour, the sustained wind. So this thing was nuts. Um, And I was chasing it. And I was that was one where I was like, I wanted to cut and run. I was like freaked out. But but we were chasing it. My uh, my chase partner, Eric, and I were hunting it down in this very remote part of uh, the state of Jalisco in Mexico, where there's just not a lot going on. There's just a couple of small towns here and there. About an hour before landfall, we finally picked our location. It was already getting stormy. And the best building we could find was a kind of a small hotel that was not, let's just say it was not solid concrete. That was an example of a situation where I really was not able to kind of handle it as carefully as I as I wanted to. And uh, at the height of the storm, uh, Eric and I, three hotel workers and a family were all crammed into a bathroom under a mattress <laughs> as the building was just wow. ripping apart. Yeah, that was uh, 
that was one where it was like, okay, this, this building is probably not the best place, but this is where we are. So we're going to make it work. So if you could, uh, if you could bring one item or if you do bring one item that p- people might be surprised by that has been kind of like the strange thing you pack that has made your life so much easier or saved your life or been invaluable whenever you're out in these storms, what is it? You know, it's a great question. Uh, I've got to keep my equipment really portable. So a lot of the, the tornado guys, you know, the, the ones that, uh, that chase tornadoes, they, they live in the Midwest and they chase in the Midwest. A lot of them have, you know, special vehicles for this. And they just, you know, they, they just, they just pack up their cars or trucks and they go and, and they can, you know, their, their setups are pretty tricked out. They've got a lot of cool stuff, cool gadgets, cool instruments. So the way I'm chasing, I'm flying around the world. Um, I'm going from one flight to another. I'm connecting a lot to get to sometimes remote islands. So that means that portability for me is key. My equipment needs to be, everything needs to be able to fit into carry-ons. So because of that, um, it, it affects sort of how I treat equipment. So my main equipment in terms of collecting data are Kestrel weather meters. Uh, they're these very nice portable devices. A lot of people have them. Each one is basically the size of a cell phone. And in terms of measuring air pressure, which is one of the big indicators in terms of intensity of hurricanes, and it tells you a lot about them, um, they're very accurate to within about a millibar. And uh, they're easy to deploy. Um, they're easy to calibrate. So those I'm always, uh, um, every chase I bring about five of them with me. So I could either plant them in different locations um, around where I think the hurricane's going to come ashore, or then I can have multiple ones in one place for redundancy. Uh, you know, in case I capture data that's really weird or crazy, I, I can have multiple instruments corroborating. So in terms of data collection, like, yeah, I have to have my kestrels. But I would say my main, besides that, besides like the, uh, the, the, the data collection, my main the thing I just feel like I'm glued to the entire time is just my iPad, you know? And I, I think back to, you know, I started chasing before iPads, before internet, okay? So <laughs> my my first chase was in 19... <laughs> I'm a little older than you. My first chase was in 1991. I was very young, okay? I was like a pup. This is like my first chase where I actually went and chased something. And I chased it. It was Hurricane Bob going up the East Coast, and I chased it from Washington, D.C. I was there for a summer doing an internship on Capitol Hill. This is while I was in college. I chased it in a train because I was too young to rent a car, and uh, so I took a train to oh New York gosh. City, and then another train along the Connecticut coast. And you know, this is before mobile phones or you know, uh, you know, mobile network or anything. I mean, I mean, literally, I had a duffel bag with you know, just some clothes, $200 and a paper tracking map. And, and that was, that was my first chase. <laughs> just Kicking it old that. school. I mean, this is, this is super old school. I mean, it's nuts. And I think back to that and now to just, you know, fast forward, you know, almost 30 years later, you know, it's just like, you know, this one iPad, you know, you have radar, satellite, up to the minute information of the hurricane center you've got like, or, you know, whatever agency is, is sort of, uh, you know, handling the storm. You've got recon data. You've got it all in the palm of your hand. I mean, I don't want to sound like, you know, when I was young, I had to walk five miles in the snow to school, but, you know, chasers, the, the, the new young chasers now have no idea <laughs> how we had it. 
back then, you know, before all these tools. But yeah, it's amazing. Just one iPad, man, you have everything you need in the palm of your hand. It really is remarkable how many tools we have. Josh, I got to tell you, it's been so good to catch up with you and kind of get a little behind the scenes look behind the hurricane man. And um, I I have to also admit that kind of, I don't want to say I'm rooting against you this year because your plan for, you know, kind of parking yourself on the Gulf Coast, um, even me, it makes me a little nervous. I'm like, could you not? Could we not have any land, you know, major landfalling storms? That'd be great. I would really appreciate a slow year. Although I know that that's not what you want and need. Uh, I feel like I need to be honest about that. You know, listen, I'm actually, I'm with you. You know, people ask me, just final thing I want to say is, you know, do you hope for hurricanes? I actually don't. What I, what I do passionately hope for is that if they're going to come ashore, that I'm going to be there right in the center, collecting data and documenting what happened. That's, that's my passion and my desire, but I don't, I don't hope for things one way or the other. The earth is going to do its thing. And uh, if, and when it does do its thing, I just want to make sure I'm there. There you go. That's a great way of looking at it. Oh, so good to talk to you. I hope that you have a nice, safe, easy season uh, and that you keep in touch. Let us know how it goes. It's been awesome reconnecting like this, Kate. Uh, I really appreciate it. And it's, it's great to talk. All right. If you guys want to check out more of the Weather Channel podcast, make sure you subscribe. You can subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. And uh, you can also rate the podcast. It's another great thing that helps us out a little bit. And we uh, will be coming with more episodes soon. I have no doubt that we'll be focused on the tropics as it is that time of year. Until we talk next time. Bye-bye.